The word why, what a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key. The key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world. Those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. Hey, everybody. You ever have a moment where you just wish you had five minutes with somebody who has really made it in an area of interest to you? You just have a cup of coffee with, or maybe even a glass of wine, or have a beer. At least spend just some time one-on-one to learn from them, to understand what makes them tick. That's what we have today. I'm so excited about this conversation. Uh, Bruno Schiavi. So at first you're going to say, who's Bruno? Trust me, you're going to know Bruno after our conversation today. Look, he is known publicly as he really was the guy that started and launched the entire Kardashian collection empire. Um, and he has so many other wins uh, to his name that started back in 1996. I want to ask him about his first sort of venture into working with Walmart and Target. Uh, where did it come from for this, you know, this Australian uh, transplant to the U.S. and and how he has approached life as an entrepreneur? Um, and I think you're going to be really surprised. That's my hunch going into this because any experience I've had with him, it's been very unlike uh, what you might think of somebody who has been tied to over a billion dollars in global sales, retail sales, based on the brands that he's built. Uh, he has every reason to walk into a room and point the finger at himself as if, look at me. That's not the guy you're going to meet today. I can't wait to have this conversation. And look, I hope to take him and you down some rabbit holes. Uh, and ultimately, I hope that this speaks to the entrepreneur in all of us, regardless of age, status, or level of accomplishment that this audio is hitting you today. Bruno Schiavi. You know, Bruno, when I, and I mentioned this in the, in the, in the open here to this episode, just of your prowess, but I will tell you in my research, uh, normally I can identify and say, you know, this individual fits in this box. Right. And, and maybe that's just for my own um, sensibility or, or just to make it easier on myself when I'm having a conversation with somebody, whether it's recorded or not. But then there are people that I run across and I think, I don't even know if they know exactly the box that we should put them in. Meaning, when, and this is a comp, it's a long way of saying, going around the moon here, a compliment, Bruno, in somebody who has not been pegged as talented in one area. Um, but understands really sort of the essence um, of what they do. And they can then apply that in many different domains within a given sector. And that's how I experience you. And people will know you, and we're going to dive into in 96 with the launch of the Pocket Sock, right? And, you know, these crazy numbers uh, that you have been tied to with a billion dollars in global retail sales, right? And then there's that little thing called the Kardashian Collection. I mean, there, there is a lot <laughs> here, um, so with that preamble, Bruno, when you sort of close down at night, you know, and let's say that you were preparing to speak to some young people to let's say a local high school and you had to identify yourself, 
are you, tell me who you, who you are in that bio, that intro that you're going to give a bunch of high school students who are wondering who this guy is up on stage. You know, I, I often think about that and, you know, people have kind of asked me, you know, so what do you actually do? <laughs> and that's actually a really good question because I ask myself that all the time, right? So what do I actually do? Um, and one thing I guess I learned from an early age is that just follow your passion, right? So follow your passion and whatever you like, just do it. But to me, it's always been, you know, if I'm talking to, you know, young people or entrepreneurs that are starting something new, if they're uh, launching something or trying to go on a different path on their journey in terms of a new career, I always tell them, if the door's closed, jump through the window. And if that's also locked, try the chimney. Because there's always a way to get in, right? Like there's always a way to get in. And, and for me, that's that's been my career over the last 25 years. Um, nothing is easy and there's always obstacles along the way. And to try and pigeonhole yourself in one area, going back to, you know, where do I really belong? I think that that limits you. And I think there's so many more opportunities out there if you don't pigeonhole yourself in one box, right? Why? Why do that? Like, explore different avenues. Feel uncomfortable, you know, in an area that you don't know. I love that. I love knowing that I don't know something. And I love knowing that I can find the answer or explore how to get there and making mistakes along the way. Because, right, everybody makes mistakes. If you're not making mistakes, then, boy, send me your details and I'll, I'll send you a DM, right? So, Bruno, would you say then that you, a skill, one, one of many skills that you might have in helping to build these, these, you know, retail juggernauts is actually being able to ask really good questions or that a power that you have is around inquiry. I think that we are conditioned to have an answer. But I also think there's a sort of a subtle stealthiness to people that are very successful. And it's not really that they have maybe the answer. It's that they have the ability to sort of ascertain the movement that's going on in front of them and diagnose it and then ask questions or integrate inquiry in a manner that pulls people in to sort of see a similar horizon line. Am I, am I close to something that I'm, I'm seeing visually for those that can't, can't see Bruno, it's that, is there some affirmation here in what I'm saying that there is an element of inquiry that you hold near and dear? Absolutely. You're correct. So first of all, listen, right? Listen super carefully to what people are telling you. Uh, and explore, right? Ask questions. Don't be afraid uh, to hear an answer that perhaps you're not wanting to hear. And I think that's the biggest thing, right? Sometimes we're afraid to ask the question because we don't really want to hear the answer. Uh, well, I think you should be prepared to hear the answer. And I think um, I've always been the type of person that um, I've asked a lot of questions. I've listened really well. Uh, but I've also tried a different direction. So if you tell me to go left, because that's the way that it should be, I'll probably go right. 99.9% .9 of the time, I will go right. 
because I want to explore a different way. Uh, and I want to find my own way and my own path. And I guess that's what I've done, you know, with the brands that I've launched. You know, a lot of people said to me, you know, how are you going to do that? Like, really, like, how are you going to do that? Like, nobody, you know, quick example, when I first launched my first company in Australia, it was a laundry company. And I launched that in 1996 when the internet in Australia was really non-existent, shopping online at the time. In 1996, think about it, in Australia, like it really was not there. And yet I decided to launch lingerie, one of the most challenging categories, and to sell online. So people were going to me, you're absolutely crazy. And guess what? You know, after three years, we couldn't keep up with the demand and we got acquired. So there you go. Just take, take the risk. Yeah, Bruno, that speaks to instinct and in a rudimentary form we would talk about somebody's gut right the things that you trust that you can't quantify it's really tough to put it's like a moving target but we all know what that's like right we trust our gut in relationships we trust our gut in a movie we might want to watch uh you know all kinds of things um tell me about your relationship to instinct and where that started when you were young at what point did you trust? Because I think that that is sort of a pivotal moment for somebody in their youth when they say to themselves, I have an opinion that may differ from the outside, whether that's a parent, a caregiver, a teacher, an employer, right? And I'm actually going to challenge conventional wisdom. There's something there that I think is empowering that we take for granted, I think, as we get older, that it's just there. But yet, man, it's a powerful element in our ability to be successful entrepreneurs. I, I tell you, Rod, you bring up an, an awesome point because I'm super spiritual and I really, really go with my gut. And this is really what people that are close to me know about me. I make a decision 90% of the time based on how I feel and my gut instinct. And I think I learned that at, at a young age because, you know, um, my mom worked long hours. I, I, I literally had to grow up you know, uh, fending for myself. I'm an only child. So I really had to learn how to adapt quickly, right? And when you adapt quickly as a child, I think you start to focus on different senses, right? Like your, your, your gut instincts. And I think that that's how you're brought up, right? And a lot of people say, so how do you, how do you just operate on a feeling or a gut? Um, you have to trust your gut. Everybody has, you know, that kind of sixth sense in a way, that gut feeling that something's right, something's wrong, or take a risk. A lot of us push that a lot more to the boundary, and a lot of us listen to that gut feeling a little bit more. And I've really learned to be guided by that. Honestly, I really am guided by my gut, by my instinct. Uh, and sometimes it's just taking a chance. Take a chance. Take a chance because, look, the worst that can happen, you can fall down, but you can pick yourself back up super quick. So take a chance because otherwise you'll never know it. And you might regret not taking that chance and trusting your gut instinct. Any, any uh, experience for you as you started to accumulate success, right? And you, you trusted your gut. I mean, I hope people heard that 90% of your decisions are based on gut, a feel, right? An experience of maybe yeah. an individual or a group of people and a product that it's going to hit now, right? Or it's going to, yeah. we're on the precipice. Look, I think it's human nature, Bruno, that people will struggle with some level of success. Now, the easy cases of that are, let's say, celebrity or ath professional athletes that come into come into wealth maybe earlier than expected, and then it's hard to understand how to apply that to this new path in life. 
uh, and I'm not talking about your sort of what you've accumulated or what you've earned in that regard. I just mean the experience of success, whether that's an exit or seeing brands succeed and these and seeing your name tied to these incredible numbers um, of achievement. Did you ever have a point in time where you had to almost not reprimand yourself, but that you kind of had to put the string on your finger to remind yourself that, now, wait a minute, if I start to change the way, change the way I approach or evaluate opportunity, because I have now achieved some level of market success, that I run the risk of not having as many successes because I'm taking a different approach. I'm tacking differently uh, to the headwinds that are coming my way. I, that's the element there that I think we do not address. It's like when I interviewed Magic Johnson and we talked about mental yeah. health as entrepreneurs. And he, shockingly to me, said he'd never been asked that question. And I was trying to get at sort of that in the in the dark of the room when you're alone, even though maybe people know you or you can get the meetings that you want, that there's that sensibility of, do I have to continue with the level of anxiety that sort of kept me you know, fresh with ideas because I never, you know, sort of let myself go or rely on past successes. Help me understand that process for you. And have you learned something about yourself over time with each success? Well, you know, I think it's, it's human nature, right? Once you taste a little bit of success, you, uh, you have a different level of you have a, a different level of connectivity sometimes, right? With yourself, with your inner self, right? And the best way for me to describe this is like um, you become a little bit more elated. But one thing I really learned really on and as a young child from my mom, and, and again, it was always to be humble, right? And I've seen that movie before where people achieve a little bit of success, but then they become a totally different person, Right. That's something I really did not want to do. That's really, you know, everybody that knows me knows that I'm very hands-on with everything I do. Like I'm, I'm very hands-on. It doesn't matter if you're running a $100 million company uh, or a $500 company. At the end of the day, as an entrepreneur and as uh, somebody that's really mastered their craft, you want to be hands-on and, and not let the aspect I suppose, wash over you, right? Because you want to know what's going on. You want to keep your finger on the pulse. And I think that what happens is when some people achieve success, uh, they almost think that they're invincible. And this is where mistakes start to happen, right? And it's about, you know, obviously uh, magic, who I'm very close to as well. Uh, obviously, that's something that a lot of people in business don't speak about. Mental health in the business world, right? And, and there's good when you're on on the high, but then there are also the lows when you kind of push yourself too hard and you try and set your targets too high or you try and overachieve of what you've just achieved. But how much is really enough? Like how much is enough? And I think you need to set your own boundaries in terms of how much do you, what are you happy with achieving, right? First of all, internally, uh, because you always want more and more and more and more, but more and more and more can come at a very big price. Uh, and not just financially, but mentally, right? Because you're pushing yourself every day to a new limit, to a new limit, to achieve more. Um, but you're kind of leaving yourself behind and you want to, don't want to do that. You don't want to kind of look behind you and see, wow, I'm a totally different person. I keep pushing myself to achieve and achieve and achieve. Uh, at what point do I need to pull back and say, you know what, 
I'm good. I'm happy. So I think there's a fine balance in running a company or a business or starting a new job. Like, at what point do we say as human, right? Like, am I happy? Have I achieved what I've set out to do? And yes, I am. You know, it's very hard to do that. Like, even I find it hard to do that sometimes because I want to achieve, you know, more and more and more, right? But then you, I kind of have, I look around and my friends, thank God they're grounded. I have to tell you, thank God they're grounded. Thank God I have like some of the best friends in the world that I always look at and go, okay, pull back, pull back. Okay, you got to have some fun. You got to kind of like get a little bit of downtime and me time. So I think speak, that's important. Bruno, speak to that pressure um, because I think that's that, there's another chapter sort of in the story that you're you're revealing here in your experience and sage advice is can you experience can can you truly and honestly allow yourself to celebrate the successes or do you find that over time it becomes harder and harder because i look this is uh maybe sort of Monday morning quarterbacking a little bit, but I do think that there are, it's that same, it's like the pleasure principle, right? Or it's the feeling yeah. you get when you buy something. And in that very moment, you get this shot of adrenaline. It feels great. You just bought that new jacket and then that wears off and then you need to buy two. And I, I see that in entrepreneurs. I've seen it. I've seen the dark side of it where you get a massive success publicly and that founder or that leader feels now more pressure to not just have another success, right? But have an even bigger success. It wasn't good enough that we sold for a half a billion. Now we have to sell for a billion or more. And I have seen people succeed under those conditions and I have seen them crack. And it's a really incredibly sad story to, to watch. And I think sort of the origins of that are, can we as entrepreneurs, and do we even allow ourselves to, I guess, feel the successes, even as small as they may be in someone's eventual climb? I think it's a, it's a great question, I tell you. And, and that's probably one of the questions that I get asked a lot by people that are, again, going on a new journey, whatever it may be. I think it's really hard, you know, when you're achieving something to try and pull back. It is very, very difficult. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you because you're you know, you're elated and you want to go to the next level. Uh, but this really all comes in, and I keep saying this, with the people that you surround yourself with, right? And I personally try to be uh, more private, right, in what I do. Because again, to me, the success I achieve, yes, it's for the brand, it's for me personally, but I don't necessarily need to tout that. Because I think the more you do that, I think the more pressure you put on yourself, right? To be in the public eye and, and to certainly, um, you know, talk about your successes. And for me, it's something that I'm achieving for myself, but I know not everybody can do that, right? Not everybody can kind of distinguish um, a line. And I'll tell you this, look, uh, during COVID, like many people, you know, you have to bring work into the home, Right. And sometimes when you're running your own company, you also have to have that fine line of where does the morning start and where does the evening uh, start, right? Because as when you run your own company, you know this, like, okay, you're going to answer someone at 10 o'clock at night and then you're going to start doing this and sending a spreadsheet here and there. Like, I think balance is key into being able to do that. And it's harder than, it's, it's hard. 
let me tell you, I answer emails at 10 o'clock at night. So what I'm, you know, like I, I, I just do, right? Because I just do because I'm a workaholic. But uh, I do find that I, I do have separation and I've learned that over the last 10 years to separate work and life a little bit more because I do find that that's really important for your mental health more so than anything else. You need to have clarity because then all of a sudden you wake up 10, 15 years later, gone by and you think, wow, where did that time go? Yeah, where did the time go? All right, let's take a hard left turn. And I'm not saying you're an artist, but I'm going to ask you to be a bit of an artist, a visual artist here. I want you to walk the audience through your first pitch meeting. I want to, I want to kind of know, it's like describing not just a restaurant, but a meal, right? And the ambiance. Help me understand, you know, that, I mean, I have been there. I have, I have, I've seen sort of all sides of it. And it's the stuff you can't talk about that I think really drives whether or not it's going to succeed to a large part, right? It's, you know, being calm under pressure. It's poise. It's patience. It's being able to read a room. It's sort of all the things they don't teach you in business school that can really <laughs> keep your success, you know, hanging in the balance. So what was the pitch? And did you feel like you had to wear every hat and have every answer, most importantly? Because I think that is such a misnomer in the way in which people approach a pitch. And for every entrepreneur out there, I mean, look at Gen Z. They're flocking to start their own businesses as opposed to to joining existing institutions of business and practice. Um, This is a huge part of their success or failure. So I'll tell you one word which is perseverance, right? And I'll start that. I'll start the story with this. So uh, a young me, I was uh, 23 years old and I flew from Sydney to Bentonville, Arkansas. Uh, yes, the home of... It's a long flight. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long flight. And, and back like 25 years ago, uh, Bentonville Airport looked very different than today. Like you couldn't even get a taxi out there. So I turn up to Walmart. I had an appointment for a productive pitch. I get there. I get to reception. I've just traveled like, you know, 20 hours to get there. Uh, I spent everything I had literally on this ticket. And I get there. I get to reception. And I said, hi, I have a meeting with, uh, you know, so-and-so. And she goes, mm, no, not today. And I go, oh, yeah, I do. And she goes, no, he's on holidays for 10 days. Okay, so I have just flown around the world to do this pitch meeting and I thought, what am I going to do? I can't leave. So I stayed for 10 days in Bentonville and waited for the buyer to come back. The buyer came back and uh, I told him the story. He was super amazing. His name was Tim. I'll never forget it. And I told him the story and I said, you know, like we had a meeting. He said, oh, yeah, sorry. You know, at at those times, you know, there was no calendar, uh, Outlook calendar or anything like that. Everything was done, scribbled on a piece of paper. And he said, oh, yeah, you come from a long way, right? And I go, yeah, from Australia. That's a long (laughs) way. And he goes, and you waited here for 10 days? And I go, yeah, I had no choice. Like I really, I set up this meeting with you and I had to pitch the product. And guess what? I got my first order. I got my first order. I didn't leave. But to me, that's perseverance, right? Again, if you go for a job interview, you're starting a new company. 
we tend to be so flippant nowadays that if somebody says no or something's too difficult, we tend to walk away, right? With everything, right? Like, no, you've got to, you've, you've got to kind of like, you've got to see it through. You have to stick it out. It might not be easy. It might be super uncomfortable for you. It may be super difficult. But if you're truly focused, uh, I think you can make things happen, you know, like, and there are many of these stories that, you know, I've had retailers before where they've said no to me, like probably, I don't know, 10 times. And I just used to go sit at a reception and see them walk in every day. Uh, I mean, this is a crazy story, right? With Target and, and this one woman, okay, her name was Linda. I won't give you her last name. <laughs> and I would turn up there every month, every month. I figured out her schedule. I would just sit in the lobby and say, Hey, Linda, I got your package. We've, you know, revised the product. Here it is. And Rod, after six months, I kid you not, she said, you know, okay, fine, fine. We're going to get the product in. We're going to put it in. And it was such a huge success that then she expanded into more product, right? Took six months. Uh, me going there every month to kind of harass her. Don't do this, by the way. It doesn't work now. <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> pregnant dunk was stalking. Um, but, you know, it's all about perseverance and really believing in yourself, but then the journey that you're going on. T tell me about your personal constitution because I, I don't want to – look, I don't want people to think, well, wait a minute. Are we just born – some of us are born, right, with this sort of uh, – this sense of fortitude, like that you can take that kind of – uh, curveball is the nicest way I can put it in both stories uh, and still sort of get yourself out of bed in the morning with a good attitude and ready to go as if it was the first day of the pitch uh, of the original pitch. Was this, was this sort of a little Bruno? Like, were you this way as a little boy? Was there something about you? You know, I mean, look, there are, there are observers and some would call them maybe cynics that say that we are, we're sort of, we're, we're creating these honorable mentions, you know, and in, in sort of, especially in America, when we think about young kids and maybe sports or activities that they do, we just want to applaud just their sheer attendance and that we may run the risk that they're going to struggle with resiliency over time, right? Over the course of their life, mm -hmm. because maybe they didn't grow up in the same generation as you or I. So when you think back, did you have some of this stick to when you were a young kid that you didn't cower in the corner if something didn't go your way or when where does this come from no actually i was super shy i was super shy and i still get super nervous when i have to do a speech in front of people like absolutely i was not the person to to be able to start a conversation first i learned that right i learned that unless i really push myself I was always going to be the shy person, right? Uh, even in school, I wasn't really good at sports. Uh, you know, I had a group of friends, but it wasn't like I had, you know, a group of 30 friends. I was a shy kid at school because we traveled a lot. So I had to move uh, to different schools all the time. So that, I think, uh, in a way triggered the shyness, but in a way also triggered the ability for me to build a little bit of confidence along the way because I always had to make friends like at every school that I went to. So I was shy and not really the extrovert person that would go out and start a conversation. I learned that. I learned that by pushing myself and thinking, look, it was just me and my mom because my dad died at a very young age, right? And my mom was at work most of the day. So again, I was at home alone. So 
I had no choice, right? I had no siblings to push me. Um, I really had to create a new version of me, if you want, as I was growing up, somebody that was a little bit more confident. And you don't need to have this skill. You really don't. All you really need to know is, are you confident or not even confident? Are you happy with the road that you're taking, right? I don't care if you're going to go for a new position uh, at a new restaurant, right? Or, or you're going to be writing a book. Are you happy with the decision you're making, the path you're taking? As long as that vision is clear, I think anybody can achieve anything. And it's super hard sometimes, of course. Like, it's super hard to be motivated all the time. And nobody can. Like, whoever tells you that they're motivated, like, 24-7, I really, I find it that, I find that hard to believe, right? Because we all go through these ups and downs, right? Uh, but no, you don't need to be a person that is extra extroverted, that is extra confident to be able to be happy with what you're achieving and on the path that you're going on. Uh, you can learn that. You, you can learn it and, and you can kind of go at your own pace. So are people who have not, I guess, talk to you, but they walk into a meeting with you for the first time. Are they surprised by your personality? Because I think that Hollywood, sort of the, the Bruno Schiavis of the world, they would think, oh, is this sort of bombastic guy who's going to say, yes, no, <laughs> move it to the left or the right, wrong color, right? Uh, from a branding and a retail space. And yet you walk in humble, maybe equally as sort of reticent about meeting new people and sort of, you know, how you're going to provide value. I would imagine that that is a really nice surprise for people, but that it may sort of take them by a bit of surprise. Have you ever gotten that feedback? You know, I have, and I've been dealing this since I was 22. So my first company I started was 22. And I walked into this meeting <laughs> and everybody thought I was the assistant. And they were waiting. When's your for, boss coming in? Waiting <laughs> the, yeah, they were waiting for the CEO. And they said, oh, what time is Bruno coming? I go, I am Bruno. They go, but you're 22 years old. Like, they didn't know how old I was, but they looked at me and thought, God, no, are you kidding? And, you know, like I was in a meeting with people that are board of directors. So I've had, I guess, from a young age, had to have to deal with that, like in, in certain respects. But again, I think I've never been the sort of person that has been super, super loud, super flamboyant. I'm just more reserved. Uh, you know, I tend to fly under the radar a little bit more. That's just who I am, you know, even in my personal life, you know. Um, I tend to be a lot more reserved than most people think. I think more people think that I'm out there and I'm, you know, loud and, uh, and I suppose super confident. But we all go through that, right? I have confident days and I don't have confident days. That, that's the nature of you're human, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I mean, seriously, unless you're a robot, like, who could do that? <laughs> we might be able to do that in the near future, but uh, but not yet. But yes, I have I have walked in meetings where people have actually literally said, "Oh, is Bruno coming?" I go, "Yeah, yeah, that that's me." <laughs> I, I, you know what? I love it because. There's a percentage of the audience, there's a percentage of kids that might be, you know, in an auditorium or early career entrepreneurs or even people that are within sort of corporate structures that are thinking of going out on their own that feel like there's a prerequisite to being an entrepreneur that I think Hollywood has gotten wrong. Um, and I think it's a wonderful example that sort of us being, you know, like you being you is the best skill you can bring into the room. 
because that authenticity is something maybe you can't measure, but boy, does it connect human to human. Yeah, I, you know, 1000%. And when I work with, you know, if I'm helping, for example, a brand get into retail and I listen to these founders' stories and they say to me, but I want to, uh, you know, I want to hire the best VP of marketing and the best VP of sales. I always say to them, no, you are the VP of marketing and you are the VP of sales if it's your own brand. Nobody can do it better than you can, right? At the end of the day. So yes, you can have all those people after the fact, but put yourself out there. You might be uncomfortable. You might not like presenting. You might not like what you, what they're going to say about your product or your idea, but you have to be the forefront of this product always, right? And and again, you know, with all the celebrities that I've worked with over the last 20 years, that's been really important to me has been authenticity, right? Uh, so being authentic, because it's very easy to uh, pretend you're somebody else. But as people and consumers nowadays with, you know, social media, that's obviously, you know, a, a part of your fingers and everybody wants things in an instant, right? It's instant uh, gratification. People want to know that you're genuine. It doesn't matter if you're the Kardashians or Magic Johnson or Janet Jackson. It doesn't matter who you are. People want to know that what they're hearing from you is a genuine thought or it's a genuine statement. And I think we tend to lose that a little bit when we talk about products in the marketplace and brands that are affiliated with celebrities and so forth. And um, and I've really, that's always been a requirement really right from the minute I, I worked with the first celebrity which was Delta Goodrum in Australia, and we created a collection for her. Um, that was always my kind of internal prerequisite to work with somebody, that they were genuinely involved every step of the way. And I mean every step of the way in terms of, you know, from marketing to advertising, product development, uh, first sample, second sample, whatever it was. But they were involved and not just a shell of a face. You, you brought up the Kardashians, and I don't want to go down sort of that road, but what I would ask you about that experience is, I'm just genuinely curious as to what did you learn about yourself? And in what ways did that, because from a public perspective, I think people just saw this overnight empire, which I know is not true. Um, in what ways did that experience stretch you beyond your comfort zone potentially or what had already been sort of established and sort of who you were walking into a boardroom and how do you take that experience and sort of that what i'm calling maybe stretching experience um and apply it to today you know i loved working with kim cordy and chloe for five and a half years because you know we were doing i was doing every product category for them and one thing that i have to tell you and why i love those girls is their work ethic. And they have the same work ethic as I do. And I think when, when you're working with somebody that has so much passion, that kind of rubs off on you, right? And, and to me, it was validation that all those internal things I had in my mind that I described to you before about making sure that the people are authentic and that the messaging was authentic, everything we were doing was authentic. And there was a lot of hard work. There are a lot of, you know, seven days a week. There are a lot of long nights. And everybody out there from 30,000 feet, people just think, oh, yes, it's just easy. But it's not easy. It's not an easy journey, right? It doesn't matter uh, 
who you are. So it doesn't matter if you know you're the most famous person and you're releasing an album or you're releasing a a collection of clothing or whatever it is, you still have to put. And a lot of the people that are successful, they're putting a lot of work behind it. These three girls, let me tell you, they have the most amazing work ethic that I have ever experienced, you know, and that's why they're successful. And I learned really from them um, a sense of humbleness because honestly, they're, they're really humble in terms of, you know, there are a lot of things that they achieve and that they do that the public don't even know about. Um, and they keep that to themselves. And I respect that. And, you know, I worked with some pretty private celebrities that I love that about them, right? And, and that's, I guess, that's why I relate to them, Rod. And that's why I guess, you know, we're talking about gut feelings yeah. at the beginning of go. That's how we all go with our gut feeling. And everybody who I've ever been associated with, we kind of have a similar trait private in, in a way, uh, hardworking, uh, focus, uh, you know, all of those words that come to mind and really determined and really uh, passionate. So I'm really passionate about this topic because it's something that people lose sight about. Just because you get a little bit of pain, uh, it doesn't mean that things come to you easily. <laughs> Sometimes it's the opposite, let me tell you. It's actually harder uh, you know, so not from a monetary perspective, I'm talking from uh, an achievement, a goal, internal pressures and so forth. Yeah, you have to work on uh, twice as hard, right? If not more. Absolutely. If not more. If not more. Let, now let's take, let's sort of, you know, uh, slingshot from from that experience to the experience you you had with uh, Uncle Buds, and I know you're the president and co-founder of Uncle Buds, and, and Garrett Greller, I've interviewed and, and spent time personally with seeing him sort of in action um, over the last couple of years. Uh, a young man that I just really enjoyed because there's a spirit about him. There is an openness um, and this, this sort of quiet confidence that you just say, wow, that's going to age really well, like a fine bottle of wine. And like he's just getting started. So, with that as sort of the backdrop, you know, I would think that you have choices, right? In the in the what you've sort of when you think about your career and where how you've sort of stair stepped it, and throughout those choices that have been presented to you, Uncle Bud's comes along in the hemp CBD you know um, market, which for a lot of people is either mysterious or at an arm's length, or they just sort of don't exactly know where it fits. But that's changing. It seems like every day, uh, in a lot of positive ways. And in very productive ways for the market. Why Uncle Bud's for you? And sort of not just why, but why now in your career, if you think sort of in your your own timeline, what does it represent about you now? Because I love a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) You were eager to answer that when I saw it. (laughs) You know, I've never taken the easy path. Don't ask me why. (laughs) But you know, if if there's a harder path. I'm the one that usually takes it, right? Because I love a challenge. And, you know, I, again, going back to people and gut feelings, when I met Garrett, I really loved his story, right? Having arthritis at the age of 14 and having this debilitating pain that nobody could actually uh, get under control, except if you're using, you know, like... Uh, steroid and injections and and really seeing him at the age of 21 when I met him, uh, he really reminded me a lot of me, right? Because uh, 
entrepreneurs, both of us starting our first businesses super young. He was 21, I was 22. I saw a lot of Garrett in me, really. And I saw that there was a white space in the market to come out with a product line uh, that democratized this um, idea that CBD and cannabis uh, were bad for you, right? And, and, and look, it's a, it's a very gray area in terms of how people relate to this ingredient, hemp and CBD, and, and how people put you in a box. All of a sudden, if you're dealing in CBD and hemp, you must be a stoner, right? Well, further from the truth. No, we both are not. And there's nothing wrong with you if you are, but that's not really who we are. So we were trying to really create this brand that was for the masses. And this brand really started, was created because Garrett had one skew, which was a pain relief skew. Um, and we really wanted to take this and make it a, a health and wellness brand with the ingredients of hemp and CBD in it. So we again went in a different direction. While all our competitors were going and touting hemp and CBD, hemp and CBD, hemp and CBD, we were touting health and wellness, mainstream, affordable, right? So that that's, I always like to take, you know, like I mentioned before, if somebody tells me to turn left, I'll turn right because, you know, that's just what I do. And I'm just like, <laughs> kind of want to prove my own journey along the way. Even if it's along the path, we'll get there. Uh, but that, for me, I wanted to create a brand that had a community. And I thought Garrett is the anchor to this brand because he's the community. People could relate to him. Um, and, you know, I'm super thrilled that after four years, four and a half years, we've just been acquired by a public company and um, we're still running it. We're still involved. And that's the passion why we decided to, to partner with these guys, with Pressure Biosciences, because they have the same vision. Uh, they're older than Garrett and myself, but again, they remind me of, you know, a younger me or a younger Garrett. And I guess that's what really made it super impactful for us to, to kind of go on this journey with them. So what I distilled from, one of the things I distilled from what you just said was that there's such value in maintaining, this may sound corny or up in the clouds here a little bit, but it, the importance as an entrepreneur to maintain connection, to maintain something that makes us sort of go back to those, I'm not, you know, like youthful days, right? When we're sort of younger and we just, you know, we'll work as long as it takes. And, and we're not sort of bludgeoned by just experience over time, which is just a challenge we have as humans, <laughs> yeah. right? And that, you know, the first sunset we see is, is beautiful and exhilarating, but by the time you've reached a certain age, you've seen a sunset. And so, you know, finding opportunities and people that keep those sort of, pathways uh, throughout our body, right? It's really about speaking to the body, um, that those are really, really important. And it's not something that we can put on a LinkedIn profile or that even we would stick out in a bio that's going to be read before these kids and maybe in a high school, you know, auditorium. But there's something about maintaining connection. Am I, am I reading that right? Yeah, you are. It's connection, but also it's learning. Never stop learning, right? So again, we've been acquired by this great company who's a, a biotech company. Like Garrett and I have really, we don't come from the biotech world. We're learning so much, right? Uh, so I think it's definitely connectivity, but also never stop learning. And then if, like I, 
don't be afraid. Like, you know, like I'm 52 and I'm learning something totally new and and that excites me. And Garrett's at a totally different age. He's 26, right? And he's excited because he's learning something new. Again, you can go on your path, but along the way, I, I think it's important to kind of never stop learning and asking questions, right? Because I think ask a lot of questions, right? Like you said before, ask questions, don't be afraid to hear the answer, um, but connectivity and remain connected to those people and try and learn from people that that have had a lot more experience than you have, right? Uh, because guess what? If you just listen to them, uh, you might just pick up one or two things that might help you along the way, personal life, business life, both. Let's put a bow on this conversation. And I, I you know, I'm going to ask you a version of the, uh, the, the expected sort of what's the moral of your story, but I, I kind of like to do it with a bit of a twist, which is to say, and, and this may be personal and sort of an intimate question, but from a, from a, a visceral perspective, talk with me about the arc of success, the relationship that you have with whatever you think success is, is it a, you know, is it a feeling? Is it a, an experience? But what is, how has your relationship to success changed over time? Oh, we have a rocky relationship. <laughs> I have a rocky relationship. <laughs> a but, you know, uh, it changes every day. So why, you know, what day is it today? And ask me the same question tomorrow. No, uh, look, for me, success, I've learned over the last 25 years that I just have to be happy with my version of success, not everybody else's perspective of success, right? And that's sometimes uh, really challenging, right, to to be happy with your version of success because my version of success might not be, uh, you know, an interviewer's version of success that's talking about me and seeing what I've achieved. And they're thinking, oh, well, my God, now you're going to achieve even more or whatever it is, or you, my God, you're at the bottom and you've come back to the top and now you're at the bottom. So whatever version of success, it has to be your own version of success. And not just in business, but I think in also relationships, right? In your personal life. Uh, we all want to be the most successful at everything we do, right? But I think we need to set boundaries in terms of what success means to us personally. Don't worry about everybody else. And it's very hard to say, don't worry about everybody else uh, because we all get affected by what other people think, right? You, you're humans. You get affected by what people say, by, by people's comments. Uh, and that's one thing that I guess has really changed since I basically started a company because now success sometimes is measured in terms of how many clicks you get online or, you know, success now is swipe to the left, swipe to the right, right? Like it's just so, to me, success, I almost want to change that name to, to something new. I want to change the word success to um, what is your boundary? Where are your boundaries, right? Instead of success, because Success can be measured in so many different ways, but what are your boundaries that you know you've set up a boundary and a perimeter about around yourself and you're not going to push that boundary too much, right? That can be success too. So nowadays, again, with social media, with digital marketing, digital advertising, very different than 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. Uh, so use boundaries 
your own boundaries to measure, if you want, your own success and put parameters around that. Relationships, work, you know, friendships, all of those things. Okay, was it just me? (laughs) Or is Bruno just a terribly likable guy? I don't know why that surprises me. Um, It shouldn't. Maybe it's just because I watch too much news in my day, not just here in the U.S., but abroad. Uh, Maybe I've become cynical. But, uh, man, what a refreshing conversation with, you know, sort of this eternal optimist, uh, but realist. And that really came through to me. Uh, You know, he recognizes the successes that he's had, but it seems like he's a really grounded guy in who he is, where he comes from, and this sort of internal flame, this pilot light that he's not going to let sort of go out uh, with a whimper at all, right? He attacks everything, but he does it through kindness and an open heart and an open mind about the people that he's collaborating with. And I love that about him and entrepreneurs that are successful, because I think it's a great message. Uh, It makes me think about so many different times I have personally been in business situations where I wish there was a Bruno, right? Uh, And I'm sure many of you have as well. So I feel like part of me is, I'm so inclined to connect this interview with young people, because I think it is a, it's, it's counter to what we see in Hollywood. And, you know, you heard that in the interview, I kept bringing that up. And maybe that's because he lives in Los Angeles now that I was sort of, you know, integrating in the essence of Hollywood in LA and what that may or may not mean. But, you know, he likes challenges, right? He, he's taken Uncle Bud's uh, as a brand and he's taken it from $500 to this, you know, massive valuation, this new acquisition. Um, it's just all this great news. And yet, Man, the story is powerful. I mean, can you believe he, sp- he spent 10 days in Arkansas waiting for his meeting with Walmart? How many people would do that? Uh, and then he followed that up with uh, six months of uh, polite pestering with a target executive. And it turned out uh, golden, right? So I just thought some great lessons. I, I Selfishly, I probably learned more than 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 maybe the audience might, but... What a what a genuinely nice guy. And I like to root for nice people. And I'm going to continue to root for Bruno. Uh, I'm going to learn more and follow and, and sort of keep abreast of what he's doing with Uncle Bud's because I think we're going to see more and more thoughtful uh, companies out there that understand sort of the, the, the cultural need of health and wellness. And it sounds like they are, they are working in that space uh, in spades and doing quite well and connecting with people. And that's what it's really about. I mean, that's the essence of what he's talking about. Sure, he's an expert in retail and branding and building brands from the ground up. But to me, that just means that maybe selfishly, it's that he's a storyteller. He understands the power of a really good story. He understands how to identify characters that matter. And in this instance, I think he's a character that should matter to you. I know he does to me. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom, where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom. Headroom.